have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. The Gospel. What does that word mean? It means this. It means good news. The good news. And here's the whole truth of our faith. If we miss the Gospel, we miss understanding and receiving the Gospel, then we missed everything. It's like cotton candy. It looks like it's big and filling, but you take a big bite and it's just kind of like air. Not much to it. You get a little sweet taste in your mouth, but no substance. As we look at the gospel this morning, I think it's imperative that we remember and that we understand what the gospel is. And I want to give you just ABC to understand it. First of all, A, admit that you're a sinner. Recognize that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we start right there with A. Admit and repent, recognizing who we are. We're not good enough. We'll never be able to do enough good deeds. We'll never be able to go to church enough. We'll never be able to do that. The only way is because of Jesus, which is the second point. Believe. Believe in what Jesus did for you upon the cross. That He came, that He lived a perfect and sinless life. That He purposefully died upon a cross so that He could take our place because the Bible told us there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. There had to be some kind of sacrifice because God is perfect and holy. So there had to be some type of sacrifice. So God in His infant mercy supplied Christ, God in the flesh, and He lived that perfect life, and He willingly died on the cross, and on the third day rose again. So we believe by faith. We receive it by grace, not earning it, not deserving it, but receiving it, believing it in faith. And then thirdly, we confess. We recognize that He is Lord, that He is God. We confess Him as our Savior. A, B, C. Let me ask you this. Have you ever received the gospel? I know you've heard it, but have you ever received it? Have you ever come to that place where you recognize, if God doesn't do it, if Jesus doesn't save me, I won't make it. I can't be forgiveness. I can't be perfect. Have you ever come to that place where you really believed it and you transform your trust from anything that you could ever do to what Christ did for you? And you accept what He did. You recognize it was a gift and He paid your account. There was a debt that you owed that you could never pay, and He paid it in full. And then have you confessed Him as your Lord? Not that you just mentally believe it and think it, but have confessed with your mouth. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that's why it's important. The ABCs. We've got to start right there. And if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never transferred your trust, then this doesn't really make any difference. The songs... Preaching, the classes, the attendance, the serving, it all starts right here. Have you received the grace? Have you received the gospel? The good news, that's what it is. It's good news because we were apart from God. We couldn't do anything about it. And Christ died for us. It's great news. That's why it's called the gospel. It reminds me of a story. Uh, that's found in my, my favorite, probably my favorite Old Testament book is Second Kings. A lot of great stories in there. But in Second Kings chapter 6 and 7, there's a story there. There's a king named Joram. And Joram, the Bible tells us in earlier in Second Kings, that 
He was an evil king. He did what was wicked in the sight of God. And he had led the nation of Israel uh, down a path that they had already been on from his ancestors. And he didn't do anything really to reverse it. He, he got rid of one or two of the pagan gods. But for the most part, they were still a synchronistic society. They worshipped multiple gods. They incorporated Jehovah God in sometimes. But they had, fallen their own, they had follow, followed their own selfish desires and they had not followed the precepts. They had not heard the Word of God and followed the precepts of God. God in that time primarily spoke through His prophets. They, uh, many of them would uh, memorize much of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. But other than that, they didn't have any uh, books of the Bible. And most people never saw a copy of that. They would hear it read and, and they would memorize it. But they didn't really have Bibles like you and I have today. And so the prophet was the primary means of communicating the Word of God. And Elisha was that prophet at this time who communicated to the people the Word of God. And Elisha had spoken to Joram, and he had spoken to several of the kings, not only of Israel but of Judah as well. But it had fallen on deaf ears. And now the correcting rod of the Aramean or really the Syrian army has come upon them. It's come upon the city of Samaria, the area of Samaria. And they are surrounded by the Syrian army. And they've laid siege. And basically their purpose is this, is to basically starve you out. It won't cost us anything in manpower. We, no one, uh, we won't lose any of our soldiers. We'll just surround them. We'll just cut off all your resources. So it's gone on for months at this point. And the Bible tells us that a donkey head, which is actually an unclean animal that the um, Jews weren't even supposed to be eating at this point, it's selling for a very high price. They're even buying dove dung, and you can figure out what that is on your own. Okay, it's, it, they're in a desperate situation. And the king is angry with Elisha because Elisha has uh, confronted him, has given him the truth. And one day the king is out, and interestingly enough, the text tells us that he had on sackcloth, but it was underneath his clothes. Now, sackcloth was a sign of repentance and a sign of confession before God. But he was wearing it, but he was wearing it under his clothes so other people couldn't see it. And so he still is not humble to that point. And he hears, uh, he hears some folks talking, and basically they're talking about cannibalism. They have started down the road of cannibalism. And the king is so upset and he becomes so angry that he does tear his clothes, but he decides that he's going to have Elisha's head. Now, you would think at this point, this is a good time for me to repent. This is a good time for me to get right for God. But no, I'm mad. I'm mad at that guy who told me to repent. I'm mad at that guy who's been trying to give me the word. And so he sets off with one of his officers and I'm going to go and I'm going to kill Elisha. I can't take any more. It makes me mad we're in this situation. It's because of him. It's because of God. And this is the way I'm going to handle it. You ever seen people like that? They put themselves in bad situations. Their sin gets them in incredibly bad situations and opportunities. And then they get mad at God about it. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what's occurred here. And so he takes off to Elisha. And Elisha knows he's coming. God's Spirit has already revealed that to him. He gets there. And um, Elisha tells him, he said, let me tell you, king, here's what's going to occur. He said, you know, this is basic. we're basically here because of decisions we've made, but God is about to lift the curse. He's about to lift uh, the siege. Uh, you, as a matter of fact, tomorrow this time, there will be plenty of food. There will be all that you can eat. There will be all that you could possibly need by this time tomorrow. And what his officer that's with him, he goes, oh, king, he said, you know what? 
if the heavens opened up and the floodgates just poured out from heaven, that couldn't even be possible. And Elisha heard him and he said, you know what? You'll see it, but you'll never taste of it. What an indicting mark. You'll see it, but you'll never taste of it. You'll never participate in it. So, sure enough, that night, as the Syrian army is camped all around the children of Israel, as they're camped around Samaria, there is some type of noise, and we don't know what it is, if it was a thunder, if it was an earthquake, but what the Syrians thought it was is they thought it was the Egyptian and the Hittite army coming to get them. They thought there's a full-out attack upon us. And maybe someone heard it and thought, is that the Hittites? Is that the Egyptians? And, they, and that word spread, and they began to run. And others saw them run, and they said, what's going on? And they take off running, and they leave everything. They leave their horses tied up. They leave their clothing. They leave their food. Everything is left as they tie tell it back to Syria. As they run in fear of the supposed Hittite and Egyptian armies that would come and conquer them. And so the next day, there are four lepers. Lepers who are castigated to the outside of the city. They can't come into the regular community. They've been designated as unclean. And because of their designation as unclean, they are uh, left to fend for themselves. And in good times, they would receive scraps or maybe even food from their families that would be left at the city walls. But at a time like this, uh, where people were beginning to starve, there would have been relatively nothing for them. And they look at themselves and they come to the conclusion that we are starving to death. Let's go and ask the Syrian army if they will give us something to eat. And if they kill us, so be it. We're going to die right here anyway. You know, it's a pretty good place when we come to that point where we're willing to take a risk, where we say, you know what, if staying right here, I know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. I'm in defeat. I am stuck right here. If I stay right here, nothing positive is coming. Sometimes it has to be so painful that we'll move. Sure enough, they're in that place. And so they take off and they go toward the Syrian camp. They get there, and they begin to notice they don't see anyone. Horses are tied up, but it doesn't seem to be anyone. And they wonder, are they in the hills? Where could they be? They notice there's food left out. And then one of them probably has the courage enough to go and look in a tent. And he looks in there. There's no one there. There's no one in the other tent. There's no one in any of the tents. And there's bountiful provisions. There's food. There's clothing. There's everything that they could ever want. And they begin to get the, the booty. They begin to get the wealth the gold, the silver, everything. And they begin to get it. And they start to go hide it and dig holes and, and, and take it. And they get all this food and they're, they're just, they've hit it rich, man. They've hit the financial slash monetary food lottery here. I mean, they've got everything that they could ever want. And there's no way they could ever even use it all or spend it all. And one of them gets convicted. He goes, this isn't right. We've got our countrymen starving to death in there. And yeah. We've been put on the outside. Yeah, we haven't been provided for. Yeah, we, they don't seem to care about us right now, but we need to do what's right. We need to go and share the good news. We got good news. You see, this group of people over here, they're dying. They're starving. And this group of people over here, they have what they need. They have the food. They have all the resources. And so they go and... They share the gospel. They share the good news that, hey, the provisions, all that we need is over here in the camp. God has provided. It's all there. And so what do they do? 
they go and they tell them at the gates. And they go and they tell the king. And they get to him and he says, you know, this is probably a trap. We're not going to fall for this. They're out there and they're going to come out of the hills and they're going to trample us. They're going to get us. They'll destroy us. And one wise man says this. He says, oh, king, what, what's there to lose if we send out a scouting army? And so they do come down upon us. We're, we're dying anyway. What's there to lose? But what if it's true? We have everything to gain and nothing really to lose. So on the wisdom of this one servant, he sends out a scouting team and they find that it's true that all these provisions are there. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of clothing. There's plenty of everything. There's animals. There's livestock. There's everything that they could need. And so... The word comes back and they announce it. And the man who was standing, and it was interesting, if you'll remember, the king thought, uh, he didn't think automatic, Elisha had already told him, tomorrow this is going to be provided. The king didn't stop and think, hey, maybe God's providing. Maybe it's just like Elisha said. Maybe it's just like the Word of God said, that He is going to provide for us at this time. He didn't even think that way. It was automatically negative. But then, the truth is told, the good news is told, And the people run out. And the man who was the officer of Joram who said, even if the heavens open up and pour out like rain on us, could it be even possible? That man, as he opens the gate, is trampled and and dies. And he sees the provisions, but he never makes it to the provisions that were provided there. You know, that's a great story of understanding that we all have a need That's an Old Testament version of the Gospel almost. You can see it, a shadow of it. There's a tremendous need of the people. And then there is mercy, mercy extended by God Almighty. He extends mercy, a way, a method. But they have to take a step of faith. They must come to the provisions and receive of them. And not only that, somebody had to share the good news. Share the hope that there's life over there. What we need is provided. We simply have to come. So is the truth as John is speaking in the first chapter of John's Gospel. First John, toward the end of your Bible. As John is sharing here, John, who was with Jesus, who also wrote the Gospel of John. He says this, "...that which was from the beginning..." And he's talking about the very beginning. He's talking about eternity. Because we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are eternal. Which we have heard and seen with our eyes and which we have looked at with our hands and have touched. We proclaim, we share concerning the Word of life. The Word of life. This is a very rich Word. Jesus was described as the Word. It is the, it is the purpose of the cosmos. The Jew would have full understanding and full acknowledgement of what is being shared here. And he says, the word of eternal life, which the Father has appeared to us, we proclaim it, we share it, we tell you the good news that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. We make this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not have the truth. 
But if we walk in light, He is in the light, we have fellowship. And the blood of Jesus Christ purifies all our sins. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we come to a place we think, I'm just being really good, I'm I'm in good shape, I'm, I'm good, I can be good enough, I'm doing all the stuff I need to do, I'm good, I'm really, really good, I'm good enough for God to accept me. John says you've deceived yourself. It's not about your goodness. It's about the righteousness of Christ. It's about the sacrifice of Christ. And then what does John say in 1 John 1, 9, the very next verse? What does he say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we go back to the beginning. A, admit and recognize that we're sinners. B, believe what Jesus Christ has done for us. And C, to confess that. Confess our sins, acknowledge it, and confess Him as Lord of our lives. What about you this morning? Have you done that? If you have, we have a responsibility also to share the good news. And I want to give you six tips when sharing the good news. Six ways that we can positively and effectively share the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ. Number one, learn the gospel. That's why I gave you the ABCs this morning. Learn it. Begin to understand and begin to study and recognize Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a great verse for us to learn right there. Romans 5.8, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God loved us already. He was reaching out to us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Recognize that the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8, it is by faith that we are saved, excuse me, it's by grace that we are saved through faith. We receive it by an act of grace, by placing our faith in what Christ did. It's not in any works or deeds we could ever accomplish. B, ask God to give you a heart of outreach. Ask Him to make you sensitive. I want to encourage you to begin to pray for those around you. You know, as we begin to pray for our neighbors... God begins to work in their hearts as we begin to pray for family and friends. And sometimes it takes a long, long time. But I believe the power of the Spirit begins to speak and to move in their lives. And it also begins to make us more sensitive. C, live a life that reflects God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5:16 to so let your light shine before men so they see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. D, build bridges. Build bridges. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, uh, a lot of times we have neighbors who have, uh, if we live there long enough, and that's happened, I know it's happened for for us, if you live there long enough, you're going to have neighbors that have needs that come up, whether they end up going to the hospital, uh, whether they have a tragedy, whether they have a sickness, uh, whether they have a car breakdown, and for you to begin to help and assist and minister to them, to begin to look for opportunities to have them over, to begin to look to ways to encourage them with their families and to help them. Begin to build bridges. Look for ways to express concern. Look for ways to encourage them and build bridges. Watch for openings to share. You know what I've noticed? First of all, when I begin to pray for people, I become more sensitive. Number two, they will usually just open a door. They'll say something of this nature. Boy, it's such a blessing that we got that. I mean, they may not know God at all, but they'll use that word blessing sometime. Or they'll use the word, it's been really a struggle 
at work. It's really been a struggle right now. This has really been hard. And it's a great opportunity to share of your testimony, to share of maybe a difficult time in your life. Maybe you're in a difficult time right then in sharing how God is sustaining you at that time and the blessings that God has given to you. As we begin to look for those openings, and as we begin to pray, God opens those doors. They're there. The question is, will we walk? Will we take the step? And when we do that, and once we share, remember this. Don't feel like you have to be the one that makes it happen. It's the Spirit of God. He wants us to share of the good news. But whether people receive, whether people jump on board, that's an act of God that only God can save. So you don't have to be the salesman, okay? You don't have to always close the deal. Sometimes you might get to, but remember this, that means some other people have been planting seed. The real truth of it is, almost everyone comes to Christ in a process. You know what I mean? Somebody has planted seed, they've heard a word here, they've heard a word there, they've had an experience here, they've heard, they've seen, they've, they've thought. Recognize God wants to use you in the process. He wants you to speak a word of hope, a word of truth, of the life that Christ has given you. Now, there's six styles of outreach. The first one is direct. And we see how Peter used that in Acts chapter 2. Uh, when they came before him and they were asking questions and they were uh, telling them about where they were, and Peter just looked at them and just was very direct. He says, here's, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to repent. <laughs> you need to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent and you need to get baptized. He just was very upfront with them. He was very direct. I remember one time... I was doing something called Evangelism Explosion. I was training these two young guys. And there was this one guy, Chris, and he was just a live wire. You know, he'd been in all kind of trouble, uh, been in and out of jail. And uh, he uh, accepted Christ and still had a lot of rough edges. And I remember we went to visit uh, this couple, this young couple. And they were living together and we got there to their home and, and uh, we kind of shared the, the gospel with them. And um, they said, well, that, that's good. Well, We'll think about that. Something we, well, we'll talk about, and we may want to do that sometime. And Chris, you know, he's a new believer, and he's just all fired up, and he's never really done this thing. And he goes, Don't you guys want to repent or something? Don't you want to accept Christ just right now? And I'm like going, Chris, just hold on. Just hold on. I'm trying to hold him down. And so Chris goes ahead, and he shares his story, how he came to Christ. And, you know, as we're walking out there, I said, Chris, you don't just walk in somebody's house and tell them they need to repent. Okay, I said, you just, let's leave that to John the Baptist here, and let's, uh, let's just calm down a little bit, and let's just, you know, let's listen. Let's plant some seed there. And, and I was going to talk to him again. You know, he's still all lit up. I'm going to talk to him again next week. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to sit down and really talk to Chris for a little bit. Well, I get a call. They called that night, and the next morning I get to my office. He goes, uh, Brother Holton, I just wanted you to know we uh, really thought about what that young man said, and after you left, we got on our knees and we asked Christ to come in our heart and forgive us. And we're, we want to be baptized next week. Okay. Moral of that story is don't listen to your pastor. All right? Just... <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes that door is open. Sometimes that's a method. Another method is intellectual. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 17, we see as Paul talked to the uh, Thessalonians and to the Athenians, he reasoned. The Scripture tells us that he reasoned with them. It's also the same passage we get our word apologetics for. And that's why we believe that's important, that you understand your faith. And uh, we're going to have, matter of fact, a very special time here on October the 6th. A guy named Lee Strobel who wrote a book, Case for Christ and Case for Faith. He's going to be speaking here on that Saturday morning, and then Walter's going to be preaching on that Sunday. 
And uh, that's a tremendous time to come and find yourself equipped. He's very simple to understand, uh, but it's a great way uh, of understanding and defending our faith as we study to show ourselves approved as workmen that need not be ashamed of the Word of God. Thirdly, testimonial. In, in uh, John chapter 9, remember the story of the blind man whom Jesus healed. And they called him, the religious leaders called him before them and said, you know, who was this man? Was he a prophet or was he a sorcerer? What was it? He goes, let me just tell you what I know. I know this. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know all those things. But I was blind and now I see. He healed me. He changed me. Next, interpersonal. We see Matthew in Luke chapter 5, verse 29. He invited people to his house. Once he found Jesus, he just invited them to meet Jesus, to hear Jesus. Invitational in John chapter 4 is Jesus offers the woman a taste of living water. Come and taste, come and try this living water that I offer to you. And then acts of service, as we talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 earlier. Let them see your good deeds so that they can glorify the Father in heaven. As they see the deeds that you accomplish and that you give because of who I am. So we want to share with our mouth and we want to share with our resources as well. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it talks about giving of our first fruits of our resources. So we speak with our mouth. We share of the gospel with our mouth, but we also share with our time, with our talent, and with our resources of what God has given to us. As we have that time, we start to share. It honors God. We know the Scripture tells us that it honors the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 3 tells us. It also demonstrates the kindness of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads men to repentance. It opens our our lives up to blessings and allowing God to work in and through us. And it also helps us to overcome the spirit of greed that so wants to consume us. I was reading an article this week on the Mer- uh, about the American uh, Storage Association, and they said there is now nearly 2 billion square feet of personal storage outside the home. Uh, and they went on to talk about how it's interesting. This has all happened since um, 1995, that storage space, we are using 75% more storage space in the last 12 years. But what's interesting about that, and uh, I'm not saying that storage space is the Antichrist or Satan or anything, okay? I've had storage space. I understand that, okay? I'm right there with you. I'm just making a point. Uh, what's interesting is families have gotten smaller, houses have gotten bigger, and we got more storage space. we got more stuff. we got more junk than ever. A lot of us are paying for junk that we don't ever use and we'll never use, but we're paying 50 75 $100 a month for stuff that we really ought to just give away. We ought to call CCA and say, Come and get it, and we'll save ourselves about $1,000 a year right there. And, and a lot of times we say we can't give anymore. A lot of times it's because we're holding on to stuff. And God forbid we're making any kind of other payments on stuff that we're storing. The reality of it is, is our stuff inhibits us a lot of times. We have a problem with that, and that consumes upon us, upon our greed. And we say, well, I don't have anything to share. I can't share. Don't let stuff become the the object or the wall that separates you and God, that separates you from being able to make an impact. God gave us stuff so that we could use it, so that we could use it to share. 
so we could use it to give, so that we could use it to help and assist with, not so that we could simply hoard it and have big stacks. Okay? All right. Aren't you glad you came today? God bless you. All right. We're going to come to a time of communion here. And I want you to think about three questions. I want you to think about as we come to the communion table this morning, what do I bring? What is my heart? What is my spirit? What is my offering as I bring to God? Is it a Cain offering or is it an Abel offering? As I come before God, how am I in my faithfulness and my commitments to Christ? As I come before God in my prayer, am I praying faithfully? Am I seeking the betterment? And I'm seeking the invitation of the gospel to others. Let's take a moment to reflect. And if you never have trusted Christ, I want to invite you to come at this time. Come and receive Him. Come and know Him. If you have received Christ, then I ask that you do a spiritual evaluation. We're going to have one verse and then we're going to receive communion. If God speaks to you, if you need to come and to pray, or you want to come and receive Christ, I invite you to come at this time.